We're very excited to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023, featuring Saturday racing coverage every week on the Players Pod, as well as daily write-ups and analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Even more coverage behind our paywall, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus, and special bonus coverage like you're going to have later in this show with some coverage of the Wednesday Pick 6 Plus at Aqueduct. You can also find our stuff on their website, Naira.com, under the Picks, Plays, and Promotions tab. And then we've got the full schedule of the America's Day at the Races on Fox over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Qatar Racing. Qatar is a subsidiary of Kipco, the largest sponsor in British flat racing. As a global racing and breeding operation, Qatar Racing Chairman Sheikh Fahad bin Abdullah Al Thani has created an expansive international sponsorship portfolio to include the Breeders' Cup at events like the Pegasus World Cup term. Qatar Racing has over 100 horses in training, many mares and foals, yearlings, as well as four top-class stallions, Kamiko, Zustar, Havana Gold, and Lightning Spear. Don't miss out on the great Qatar Racing action and learn more at www.inthemoneypodcast.com slash Qatar. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for, what is it, Tuesday, July 25th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the little house on the east side for the first time in a long time. Not out in the studio yet, haven't gotten that set up, but just here at the, uh, the kitchen table with the bar behind me. And I am joined by a man across town coming to us from uh, uh, the Casa Roja. He is, and you see a little bit of that Roja in there. He is Jonathan Kenshin. What's up, JK? PTF, what's going on? I'm just sitting outside. I got uh, I got kicked out of the downstairs studio. I had it reserved, and then we were a little bit late, and then Jovanina's AirPods weren't charged, and she gave me that look of like, am I going to have to jack with these AirPods charging for the next 12 minutes while you sit there and talk with Pete about who you like in the fifth while I want to get on the Peloton? And I said, <laughs> oh, and I said, oh, no, honey, I'm going to go outside and do the, do the podcast today. <laughs> Works out very well. Works out very well. So I just arrived in town, got here in time to do uh, a, a great rainy day activity this summer up in up in Saratoga. Went to the movie theater in the middle of town. And at the request of Perrin, we did Barbenheimer. And let me tell you, it was, it was a, a wild and fun movie-going experience except for the fact that I was a little bit freaked out about my 10-year-old daughter enjoying a three-hour biopic about Oppenheimer because, I mean, I didn't know who half the characters were or what was going on, and, and she seemed to grasp it better than me. So I, I don't know what that says about me. I don't know what that says about her, but it was certainly a, a good way to spend a rainy Monday up here at the spa. Well, we went up to, we went up to Lake George. The, the weather looked like it was going to be perfect. We went up to Lake George. We did the Sagamore, a uh, little lifestyle podcast in the middle of a podcast. 20 bucks, you get a day pass. You can go in and, like, eat lunch at the Sagamore. You can even, like, hang out by, like, the lake and, like, their kind of little pool area. If you're swift enough, you can go into the pool area and get, uh, when the gates open, grab a couple towels. And, and, and no one really gives you a hard time at all. It's not, I don't even think it's an illegal move, to be fair. But uh, we did that yesterday. But it started to rain a little bit, so we, we had to punt a little bit early. But uh, that was our dark day event. 
that's not a bad one. The sag, that's that's a fun. That's definitely a fun place to check out. Yeah, the dark day stuff uh, is is always it's always interesting to see different people's approaches to it. Whether you're hunkered down with the form or out trying to enjoy some of the other local stuff that you and G covered so well in that lifestyle pod, we encourage people to check that out. The Del Mar show we did last week was super fun as well, and we've gotten a ton of good feedback on that. You can see that if you're heading out west. Yeah, I'm dizzy, JK. I barely know where in the world I am at this point. Uh, was great to be out there in San Diego for the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation Day on Saturday. Met, met a ton of nice and interesting people, obviously all for a great cause. Got to catch up with old pals out there. And it just made me realize I've got to get in the habit of getting back to Del Mar during the summer meet as well as the fall meet. It's hard to miss a weekend here. But, I mean, it's worth it. It's such a different and special experience. You, I imagine you miss going out there in the summer. Not that you were ever like a regular regular, but you hit several summers in a row out there, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I went every summer since 15 um, until until uh, I started, you know, being on the Fox show here. Although there is that one summer that Austin and I, it was a, it was a, it was a, con- they, had a con- they had their contest there. They canceled here the day before. Um, because of weather and Austin and I jumped in an Uber went down to JFK we flew to LAX we spent the night at the hotel at LAX the next morning we got on a plane to Del Mar we were at Del Mar for day one of the contest I blew on day one of the contest so on day two we flew back to Austin I dropped him off in Austin and then I came back to New York and I was back uh, I was back uh, at work on Wednesday I think the craziest part of that story is taking a plane from LAX to San Diego. You know, it's like a 70 minute drive, right? A uh, 70 minute drive at three o'clock in the morning. If you, if you go at the wrong time, it's a four hour drive. Um, that's fair. Four hours, so oh, that's that was, fair. that was when I, that was when I had flight benefits before, uh, before some guy that works at the daily racing forum wrote an article about me and then they, they researched me and I got You're blaming me for that. No, no, not at all. Not at all. No, not at all. Not at all. That's low even for you. (laughs) We only have a few minutes to catch up today, um, but I really wanted to get you on here. I think what we'll do is we'll do something very non-traditional for an early week show, and we'll do a second half of of the podcast, of the audio version anyway, where it's uh, me and somebody else going over Wednesday. What you got? You got an idea on that? No, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to do, uh, we didn't talk about this, but I think there's two things we can do. One, we can talk about a, a horse that's near and dear to us, the, the sacred wish, almost winning the grade one for our friends at black type thoroughbreds. We can talk about that as gets was the highlight of the weekend uh, in that grade one. And then we can also, we don't always have this. One of the great things about Saratoga, we can talk a little bit about who I think is possibly the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare sprint winner who will be running tomorrow on Wednesday at Saratoga Echo Zulu. Yeah. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Let's start actually just to, just to um, be a, be a, a thumb in your eye. We'll start before we get to sacred wish with the graded action from Sunday, the match race uh, between nest and Clarier. I think it's a really interesting discussion point coming out of it. First of all, incredible training job with, uh, with nest, very interesting, betting situation here where the tote had it one way the tote had it didn't clarier go favored on the tote like three to five to four to five in the international betting for whatever reason clarier was there 11 to eight that's like r six to five so i like incredibly confidently tipped clarier basically saying worst case here you're getting 
six to five on a coin flip. And I really thought there was a chance that Nest, you know, with all her work done against a three-year-old class last year that hasn't exactly covered themselves, or her best work anyway, that hasn't exactly covered themselves in glory. I thought there was just some question whether she was even as good um, as, as Clarier coming in. You certainly can't say that coming out. What were your thoughts on the Chuvet? Well, I mean, look, you know, it's. I think there's a couple of conversations to be had. One is, you know, I heard a lot of rumblings about it being a four-horse field and that not being the most exciting thing in the world. But, like, I don't know, if you owned a horse uh, that was in that division, would you want to waste a race against those two horses? I, I, I personally wouldn't because there's other races that you can show up in and, and try to get some graded place, you know, graded placings. And or, or, or it's just these horses only have so many races under their in their careers. Do you really want to, to waste time in those situations? So I, I had no problem with the fact that that's what it was. I would imagine the personal ensign would likely be a little bit of a larger field with the grade one placing involved. But um, so I guess my, my my thoughts about it are is that Nest hinted at being brilliant. Right. She 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 last year and she was brilliant for a three year old. But there's always that question mark of like, well, what's going to happen when she faces olders? And what doesn't happen very often, and, and, you know, people will complain about, you know, the rich getting richer and rich owners. One thing that's good about a rich owner is they don't need the money and they don't have to sell the horse and they can bring them back as a four-year-old, right? Because if you and I owned Nest, she would have been in that ring at Phasic Tipton in November. But since Mike Rapoli and Eclipse Thoroughbreds owns Nest, we got to see her run as a four-year-old. And when you allow these horses to run as four-year-olds and to grow up outside of their great three-year-old years, this is what you get. And as much as I love Clarier and as good as I think Clarier is, I do not think Clarier will beat Nest again. Yeah, I mean, if, based on what we saw the other day, it's reasonable. I mean, we'll see big full field dynamics, et cetera. What did you think going in? Did you, were you on TV for this, and who did you tip, or did you bet the race? No, I was, and, and I uh, I was on TV, and I don't remember who I picked. I, I, usually, I always forget. I think I picked Nest. I don't – I don't uh, – it's – if you – it's, it's the least of my concerns, to be fair, because um, that's not how I play. In, in multi-race bets, I use both of them. This was a race right. – you know, I love in races where there's two horses to narrow to one. I couldn't yes. narrow to one. I assumed I, I, it was I, one I of those narrow. for you. I assumed it was one of those. Well, just because – because to your point, I didn't know if Ness was going to come back a little short. I mean, that obviously – you don't bring back a, a, a three-year-old champion to win the shoe V. No offense to the shoe V. That's not why you bring that horse right. back. You win, you bring her back to win the personal ensign. You bring her back to win the Bell Dame. And you bring her back to win the Breeders' Cup distaff, not to win the shoe V. And so there, it would have been entirely reasonable for her not to, to, to fire her best shot. Well, she's just that damn good. She, she was impressive. Yeah, and, and maybe going to go on from there. Very interesting race figure-wise, too. I saw the buyer came back, like, surprisingly light. Like, a, it's listed here in the stakes results page on DRF.com as a 94. Timeform has it faster. Independent figure makers I checked in with have it faster. Um, it, was, it also wasn't a fast pace, so... I don't know. I'm not buying that 94. It looked like a triple digit figure and I'm assuming that's what it was. I mean, that's what Timeform had. That's what, what seems to be the consensus outside of DRF. Does that concern you at all that the published figure, were you aware of that the published figure was that low? And do you agree with me that it just sounds too low? No. Yeah. I mean, well, yes. I mean, look, the science is the science. Um, but that's, what's great about speed figures is that they have a human fun. touch it's to them. The science. Yeah, um, I will say this though: when a, when there is a slow-paced race, they can only come home so fast. So the final time, and a figure like the buyer figure is a final time figure. The final time is limited 
to what it can be if they go so slow early. So I, I don't have a, you know, I mean, I guess he could have projected up, but he, he just wasn't feeling like he wanted to do that, which is fine with me. Um, I, I don't think there's a mayor in this country that can beat Nest. And if Nest isn't in the race, I don't think there's a mayor in this country that really wants to beat Clary here either. So uh, I think those were the t- two best. And, and uh, I think the number's probably a little light, but I'm okay with it. Let's go on to the race on Saturday, uh, the CCA Oaks. I was rooting like a lunatic in the press box for Sacred Wish. And I was celebrating early, not because I thought she'd necessarily put the race away, but just because it was obvious she couldn't run out of the top three. And just for what that meant for her. Of course, then there was that moment where you thought she was going to win the race, which would have been all that much better from a black type thoroughbreds uh, fanboy such as myself perspective. Uh, in the end, Wet Paint had other things to say and gets job done there. Um, how did you? We talked about this one on air, so I know you like Wet Paint. I know you like Sacred Wish. Were, were you were you happy with how you ended up betting this race? What were your thoughts in general on the CCA Oaks? Yeah, it was a tricky stretch run, but I, I had said it on the Fox Show leading up to it. It was a tricky emotional stretch run for me because obviously. I, I, from a, from a betting standpoint, I, I singled wet paint. I thought wet paint was the horse that was going to win um, based off of that bias closing situation that she had against Hoosier Philly at Ellis and the Monomoy girl. And then, you know, so I, I, that's, that was a strong opinion I had. And I loved her in the Oaks. So I had to look kind of love her in this spot based off of that performance. But then in the stretch, it was tricky because, and I had said it on the show as well, that uh, emotionally my wager is on, <laughs> is on sacred wish after watching the George Weaver and, and Cindy Hutter piece uh, about yeah. George and his wife and the, and the, and the tragedy that they've gone through and, and, and getting to the other side of it. Um, I was emotionally rooting for a horse like sacred wish, but then also our friends, Jake Ballas at black type thoroughbreds, Maddie, Matt Miller and Reagan Swinbank, who, who the horse was wearing Reagan silks uh, for the first time in a grade one Reagan silks made their debut. So it was a, it was a tricky emotional stretch drive for me, but yeah, I know what you're talking about at the top of the stretch. You knew that she was going to get that grade one placing. And I know there are friends, and I, would, I promise I would say this if they weren't, the run they are on, purchase, purchasing privately and getting black type and graded stakes with horses is unbelievable. Crimson Advocate won at Ascot, passed the Champagne, was second in a grade one after they bought her as a maiden, uh, Hidden Connection, uh, won a graded stakes after they, they purchased her, um, Sacred Wish, uh, another one who's grade one placed, I mean, they are on a serious, serious run and uh, very proud of, of what Maddie and Jake are doing. Let's talk about Monmouth. Uh, I don't know. I assume you had the, the second screen situation watching all of the action down there. We had the, the Haskell stakes, of course, the big one of the day, one of the two, one of the two grade ones. And uh, in the end, go rocket ride, stepped up big time and got the job done. And I, I, I got to say, you know, it, it sounded like all the rumblings, all the rumblings out of the mage camp going in about how he was maybe a little bit of a short horse, how it was more of a prep. That's exactly how it played out because he went there to win the race and it just looked like he got a little bit tired and a canny ride and a terrific um, finish by Mike Smith and seeing uh, Richard Mandela and, and Mike Smith in the winner's circle there. That was nice too. I mean, it didn't, I wasn't clever enough to bet the horse. I certainly understood the horse, but very interesting new player in this three-year-old scene. How much did you like Go Rocket Ride? Um, I, I didn't. I mean, I was an Arabian Night guy myself um, in that situation, and 
and the pace, you know, it kind of cooked up a little bit and he had some, some, some company on the front end, but Mays ran extremely well, you know, and I, I think Mays is, is set up nicely for the Travers. Um, we'll see what happens this weekend in the Jim Dandy. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Forte's adding blinkers. So that could be interesting to see if that kind of gets him going in the right direction. If that's not true, uh, I don't know who's adding blinkers, but someone is. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, that, that, that could turn out to be one heck of a tra- Travers. Archangelo, if I'm not mistaken, is going to pass on the Jim Dandy and train up to the Travers. So you could have the Belmont winner, the Derby winner and the two-year-old champion all in the same race. And hopefully the two-year-old champion comes in off of a Jim Dandy win. That makes one hell of a storyline for those three horses. And I, look, I'd, I'd imagine a horse like Arabian Knight will show up there um, with all this time. Baffert loves those big races, and maybe Arabian Knight needed one. Um, and, and so it's, it really kind of could turn out to be one hell of a race. I was going to ask if you had any excuse for Arabian Knight. Baffert's typically do not need one, but you know, they, and, and, and the way he talked about it, he did sort of talk about table last year. Like he was a work short. He talked about Arabian Knight Like there was no way he was going to fire anything other than his best shot. So I'm a little bit skeptical about him. We had great interview stuff with Baffert from uh, Naomi Tucker over on the show we did. And, and, you know, he was very, he sounded very candid. So I'm, I don't know what I, I I'm like throwing my hands up at Arabian night at this point. I don't know what to make. Well, I mean, I think he was ready. I, I think that, you know, even a hall of famer like Bob Baffert and Todd Fletcher can get tricked sometimes that a horse looks ready in the morning going six, going six, but then gets into a pace pressured mile and an eighth after shipping you know, I mean, it can it sure. can go the other direction. It doesn't have to, but it can go the other direction. So we'll see how he trains out of it. We'll see. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, being on the West Coast, you'll you'll have a lot of published works from him that you'll be able to see lots of opinions about his works. And look, I mean, he could come over here, and, and I don't think he'll be the ten to one that Arrogate was, but he could come over here a little bit forgotten with the, with Mage taking a little bit of money, Archangelo possibly taking some money and maybe Forte off of a good performance this weekend and the Jim Dandy taking some money. You might kind of get a nice little price on a Baffert runner in the Travers. I don't know if they're pointing. I just assume they are. I just assume they are too. I, I, I you know, I, I, it, it, it just makes sense. I mean, logically speaking, I guess he could wait for September, but then there's also, you know, what he's going to do with some of his other horses. We'll see. There'll be news about that coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks and we'll talk about it all here on the in the money media network both in the podcast side where you can find us wherever you get your podcast or of course on our youtube channel in the money media if you're watching along on youtube give us your early idea of the travers winner would love to hear what other people think of this one thing you didn't comment much on there jk is what you think of go rocket ride going forward give me a i mean divisional player or right place at right time uh, it feels a little right place, just right time-ish. Um, I didn't see the figure. Was it? What was the figure? The figure came back a 100. Yeah. I mean, if you're running triple-digit buyers, you're a player in the division. So, um, you know, I, I guess I need to learn more about him and what kind of trip. Was that the perfect trip for him? Did he overcome something? I need to learn a little bit more about him, who he was before the race, to understand kind of where we're going with him. But, yeah, if you run triple-digit buyers, you were in the conversation for sure. We got to talk about the other grade one, the United Nations. You know, we're proud to work with uh, with, with uh, the New York breeding program on here. And uh, this is a nice New York bred therapist who got the job done over some of the more well-fancied rivals. I wasn't smart enough to come up with them on the day, but this was one of those results that after the fact, I was like, yeah, that's a cool result. Uh, g- good to see, uh, good to see therapist uh, 
beating some of the more well fancied names at 12 to one there with catnip and red knight right in behind therapist a horse that uh, i know you're very familiar with were you happy to see him have his day in the sun yeah uh no because i mean i look i you know i love me a new york bread you know they start with an advantage i listen to that commercial all the time in my ear on the show um but I didn't have him, the other maker, but I will say this, and this is the honest, this horse gives me such anxiety because, you know, he's been on our shows a bunch and every time he runs, every time I look down at his name, I can only think of that skit on SNL and it makes me very, very uncomfortable that I'm going to say the wrong thing. Yeah, because that would be it. That that would be the end of you on, that would be the end of you on TV. (laughs) It just makes me very, (laughs) makes me very uncomfortable. (laughs) I know some of the taunting along these lines you've done with your co-hosts over the years. So we might just call this one. We might just call that one karma. You're right. You're right. It's true. That's you're, I, I've gotten, I, I, I messed with Lafitte one time leading up to Derby and I, I felt bad about it, but he, 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 he's a professional. He handled it. And I think this was really, was this a case of the other, other maker that we got, uh, that you got uh, done there? I mean, yeah. the horse betting wise, it was a horse that would have made sense as a deep include, but I thought it was hard to key around. Um, you know, catnip ended up getting absolutely hammered. I was surprised at the amount of money that uh, that, that that one took. But uh, yeah, the, the horse was probably a little bit of an overlay, at least for you know includes and and and, and such. But uh, not smart. Yeah, I, I like you. Not smart enough to figure it out. And then whatever, I would have blown my double anyway because I was I was all about Arabian Night in the in the big one. So it uh, it just sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles. Any other thoughts on the on the Haskell Day action? Um, no, I mean I, the only thing I'll add is I thought Search Results just had a really tough trip. You know, um, uncomfortable. Doesn't like being in between horses, and that's where she spent the majority of her time. I, I still think that she she's. She's probably a cut below the nest and the clarier of the world, clarieres of the world, but she's got a grade one with her name on it. If she can just find the right spot where one of them's probably not. That's an interesting observation. It does seem like, at the, I mean, I've made a lot of excuses for search results, but it's, it's getting a little, uh, a little frustrating. Um, it's just getting a little frustrating to, to, to have been on side of so many times. Shotgun hottie, the one who got the job done in the Molly pitcher stakes, that figure is a 98 for that daughter of Gunrunner. Before we get out of here in this uh, truncated first segment, we do have to take a minute to look up north to Canada, where we had the queen. We had the two key, the two historically key preps, the Woodbine Oaks and the Plate Trial for the King's Plate, the newly renamed King's Plate, which will be happening. I think it's August 28th. Still trying to figure out a way, JK, if I can get up to Toronto for a day trip. If you know any, if you know anybody with a private plane making the journey who wants somebody to make them cocktails on the way, let me know, and maybe I can get the maybe I can get that bartending gig. But um, this was a year where you know I loved uh, I loved Wickenheiser going in, and I felt like you could make the case that Wickenheiser in the play trial was a little bit pace compromised. But boy, it just didn't. Neither race came back fast, but really. In particular, the King's Plate trial didn't come back um, great. So I'm wondering if this isn't a year where instead of these being the two key preps, that the, this is wide open for a mission of joy or a calic to come from another form line and get the job done here. We ended up figures for both of them. The, the Phillies went a little faster. I think the numbers came back like 84 and 81. I lost it here on my sheet that I'm frantically searching for. 
But just curious to get your thoughts on on any of the action we saw up at Monmouth, especially these uh, these key preps for the Kings plate. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing that like really grabbed me in terms of uh, of of the two winners, the two Mark Cassie runners. Uh, well, the the winner of the of the plate trial, but then also, you know, we've seen often before what can happen from time to time is is they'll run these, uh, you know, they'll run they'll run the Phillies in there as well. So I would imagine Legion Field oh, for um, sure. is would be considered to as a, as a potential runner. But to, to answer your question in a couple of different ways, and to also shameless, shamelessly plug, I, for one, I do know someone who might be going on a private plane. But if you <laughs> want to get on the plane, you're going to have to call it Kalik. Because oh. Bob Edwards will he's a he's a bohemian man all winter long. He'll be very offended of you of you not pronouncing it Kalik. Okay, Kalik. So that's the first one. Thank you for that. The second thing is 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 all, I mean, look. Uh, the other thing is uh, once we get done here, I'm going to head over and we're going to record JK plus one with Bob Edwards. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. And and I will say this, and this is I I, I share stuff on these airwaves because there are airwaves more than I do other places. But I am not joking you. Last summer, we were at dinner. It was me, Bob, um, Chad was there, and we were having a great time. And Chad, we have it on video, which we probably can ever release. He he told Bob when this horse was a two year old that we, that Kalik's going to win the Queen's Plate. That's I think he said Queen's Plate because at the time it was still the Queen's Plate. Now it's going to be the King's Plate. Yes. But he he told Bob, and so we 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 joke with Chad all the time that we're going to play that video on the jumbotron when when Clicks getting the uh, getting the trophy. So. I hope no, he did it no, like, I mean, I, for heel style too. I hope he was like getting oh, in his face. Oh, he did. He was point he was pointing. It was hilarious. It was very funny. It was very funny. It was very what funny. Does the name Bob mean? dying laughing. Now that we've it's got a, on it's this. A be- oh, it's a Bohemian beer. It's like their it's like their Budweiser. Oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. you meant Bohemian so like artsy, not like, you know, actually, you know, co- coming from that part yeah. of the world. Gotcha. Well, well, yeah, well We'll get a keg for the plane. I'll pour. You know, it's it's uh, it, it, maybe we can make this work. But yeah, so that's that is actually a really really good uh, really really good early word there. I don't know who else is pointing. We'll see. There'll be articles. Maybe we'll do a whole Kings Plate. I'm surely the week of we'll do a Kings Plate preview show. Maybe we'll even try to do something early. Any excuse to have Jim Lawson back on the airwaves. Always love chatting with him and talking about his breeding operation. He's done the you know and 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 the decision to make it the Kings, but there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack and we haven't visited with him in a while. So maybe that'll be coming up sooner rather than later on these airwaves. You, you did a good job name checking the, <clears throat> the winners there, but just to make sure not to give short shrift, it was Elysian field with the 83 in the Woodbine Oaks. And it was Paramount Prince in the plate trial. Good day for Mark Cassie. I bet all his runners early, they didn't win and then started to oppose him. And he stuffed me in a locker not an unfamiliar situation with me and Mark Cassie, I have to say. Just one of those trainers, tricky for me to get on side with. Uh, what else, JK? Do we have any other closing thoughts? We got the plug in for JK plus one. Um, we'll have a big week of stuff on these airwaves. You know, folks can always check that out. Sign up for our free newsletter in the moneypodcast.com slash email. And if you want even more, and boy, is there more this summer in the moneypodcast.com slash plus. We got Nick doing his notebook for Saratoga in addition to the free picks and Frank Scatoni now doing the same for uh, Del Mar with his frankly speaking column, any other plugs to get in messages, et cetera, 
and by the way, is that do you pipe in the bird sound like they do at the Masters, or is, is that actual um, birds there in the backyard with you? No, I think there's actually a bird here, and sometimes they come a little bit earlier in the morning too. But um, no, 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 no piping of the sounds. This is the real <laughs> full meal deal. Um, no, no, no plugs really. I think uh, what's what's this week? We're excited about. Uh, I'm excited to watch Echo Zulu run. I, yes. I think that she's. I think she's freaky. I really think she's freaky. I think she's the only horse that can beat Goodnight Olive um, in that division. And, and I think her coming out party, uh, it, it could be this week. So I'm excited about that. Um, uh, also, um, don't forget about Fox. Where the next five Saturdays, 3 to 6 p.m., will be on Fox. So on Great. Network Fox and, and make sure that we're, we're tuning in there. And then, uh, you know, look, I, I think that I just want to – I, there's two horses that I saw run this weekend that I thought were pretty darn impressive. And I want to make sure I give them uh, a call out, which is Valentine candy, a justify Colt that, that was unbelievably fast away from the gate for Ricardo Santana and Steve Asmussen. And I want to tell a little behind the scenes about that. And then also I want to tell a behind the scenes about the other justify hard to justify that one for Chad Brown on Sunday, which was outstanding as well. So here's some fun behind the scenes stories. Ricardo tells me, He's, I'm walking with Austin, and Ricardo says, I love my horse tomorrow. And I said, which one? He goes, uh, Justify for Asmussen. I'll go, I'll go, okay. And then I called, I text Steve Asmussen, and I said, you know, I like to double-check info. Someone tells me I like to double-check. So I text Steve Asmussen, and I said, runner. And it was in kind of that loaded two-year-old race that we talked about on, on, on Saturday that we talked about last week on the Late Week Show. And Steve said, can you call me? And I was like, okay. So I called him, and he said, he said listen, this is a really nice horse, and – I think this horse could be special, but I, I told Ricardo, you cannot try to treat this like the Derby. Do not get after him. Do not wear him out and just let him break away from there. And if he does it on his own, fine, but do not, do not ruin this horse just to win at Saratoga. He said, so often people leave their horses at Saratoga. I'm not doing it with this horse. He's too talented. So I kind of go into the race thinking like, well, shit, I mean, is he going to, are they going to ask the horse to win or is he not? I don't, I mean, he's obviously good. And if you watch the stretch of that race again, watch it. Ricardo hits him one time and only one time. The rest of the time, he's just fa- frantically waving the stick at him. That horse did that on his own. That's a very, very talented racehorse. And then on Sunday, I text Chad, hey, do you like your horse in the first? It sounds like Kristoff likes his a lot. And his response was, he better. <laughs> and uh, – and, uh, and I thought Chad's horse was brilliant. I mean, that horse had so much trouble. He got shut off on the backside. And he came running. I think that horse will uh, looks to be uh, the favorite for the for the for the. I think was that the PG Johnson? That's the Philly race. And then uh, you know if they can get that one done, I think could be uh, could add to, to to Chad's success in the Philly and Mayor or the Philly uh, Juvenile Turf. Philly's Turf. Yeah, what happened? Give us the results of both of those races. And gosh, if you can pull out a figure, that'd be amazing. But don't worry about the figure. Just for those that didn't oh, see. No, no. Yeah, I mean, well, Valentine Candy won. Um, Valentine Candy won uh, impressively, opened up, popped away from the gate, and and was, was getting a little tired late, but was without any encouragement, like we talked about. Ricardo was just kind of trying to hand ride home. I think it was in the seventh. It was the seventh or the fifth. Valentine Candy got an eighty-eight time form U.S. Oh, and... time for I was going to say buyer. I was going to say wow. No, I don't know what the buyer was. You're the buyer, man. It was on Saturday, race seven. If you want to look at that, while I look at the um, the other it. one, hard to justify. Uh, hard this... to justify got an an eighty-six time form U.S. 
So yeah, those are uh, definitely ones to to keep an eye on. First, I'll take a look at Saratoga, and we'll we'll get this. So, which race was it on on Saturday? S- Saturday race seven. Saturday race seven. We'll pull that chart up here momentarily. Valentine Candy um, beating this big full field. Very similar. Sixty six on the buyer speed figure scale. These are hard races to make figures for. I would not yeah. hold that number against. And then what's the sun? What's the Sunday one? Sunday race. Sunday race one. And it was in the very first race on Sunday. That one came back at 59. Yeah, but again, okay. I would not. We see this time and again where um, they, 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 on the turf particularly, they end up improving like leaps and bounds. So I, I think that your yeah, yeah, not, high praise is, is still justified. Yeah, no I mean, look, not, not blazing on the, on the scale, but, man, they were, they, were, they were both visually impressive. And, and like you said, sometimes those two-year-old numbers can be a little bit tricky, especially with a turf course that's drying. You know, the tad rain off and on throughout the week. I think sometimes figures can be a little bit tricky there as well. So every reason to improve, you know, every single reason to improve, too. So I'm not going to discount any of that uh, high praise from you, Jonathan. All right. We are our half hour is past. We're going to let you get on with your day. Let me get on with mine. Uh, We'll have something coming up in the back half of the show. Probably a look at Wednesday's races. Leave that with me Uh, again. If you're watching on YouTube, check out all our podcasts. we got a lot going on. Uh, we recommend people check out the Black Feed. That's the best way to get all the shows in the money podcast, in the money media. Wherever you get your podcast, you'll figure it out. If you have any trouble, reach out to us. JK, until the next time. It was fun covering the big day at Woodbine on Sunday, the King's Plate preview day for our friends over at Sky Sports Racing. And we are especially excited in this big ramp up to the renamed King's Plate to partner with Woodbine for not just that, but throughout the 2023 season. The great racing north of the border at Woodbine continues with graded stakes all summer. Got the King's Plate and then in September, the Woodbine Mile must get to, must watch days this weekend. Make sure to check out the Grade 2 Seagram Cup for three-year-olds and up going a mile and a 16th on the synth. Do not miss out on the action and for much more information, go to woodbine.com. Don't want to forget to give out our Adelphi performance of the week. So much to choose from. Matt Kater and I went back and forth on a few horses. We ultimately decided to give the award to Anisette and that big win in the San Clemente, probably uh, making her a favorite for the Del Mar Oaks coming up. We'll see what comes in to invade. But she looked tremendous in the paddock and just put on the afterburners. It was just explosive. It was one of these type of performances that the figure, while solid, I didn't think told the whole story. I really think Anna set a filly to watch out there. Terrific performance by this runner, trained by Leonard Powell, who races for Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners, uh, Umberto Rispoli, getting the job done the other day and making it look easy. Very impressive stuff. Now that I'm back in Saratoga, really looking forward to getting to hang out with a lot of the Adelphi crew. We've got our seats up in the stretch every day. Matt will be there. He is a fantastic guy to talk to if you're thinking of getting involved in horse ownership and very very accessible up here at Saratoga as well. I highly recommend reaching out. You can find his info on their website, or you can reach out to me, and I'm happy to put you in touch. As far as horse racing partnerships goes, there are a lot of good ones, but I have been blown away by the level of communication and transparency. Being a part of this Adelphi partnership for over a year now, I'd say it's improved my horse playing by getting a sense of exactly what goes into the the training and owning and racing of these horses. And it's frankly just a really cool group of people to hang out with. You can learn a lot more at AdelphiRacing.com. PTF back with you. I've moved from the little house on the east side down to the Mohawk Pool Club in lovely Niskayuna, 
Hopefully I don't sound too bad. There's a bit of an echo in here. We might have an interruption or three, but we're going to make the magic happen as we talk about this Wednesday card at Saratoga as promised. And to do it with me, we bring in one of the people I always like to talk to about any circuit I'm betting, especially New York. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? I'm doing great, Pete. Ready for a new week at Saratoga, no doubt about it. How'd your weekend go wagering-wise? Uh, it was a little underwhelming, um, but, you know, it's funny. I actually was looking through – somebody is following my picks and giving me stats every day, and I, I was alarmed at how many winners I picked relative to my wagering performance. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, you know, one of those where it's it's hard to string together three-to-one shots in any kind of lucrative fashion. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a take what they give you. I guess my problem is that my best opinions have not really been all that great, so – that's been kind of one of the drawbacks, but I know from years, uh, years of doing this, that you just have to get one, right? That's it. You get one and that's all that matters. It only takes one, as we often like to say. And it's funny, you mentioned this on the heels of the combo with JK, where I was at looking back at a race and saying, who did you pick? And he says, I don't remember. And I, and I laughed, but like, you know, he's talking about in his wagering some, some races he's using four horses equally. So who he picked isn't so important. Maybe that's some of it too, is like just, you know, a top pick is a top pick, but it doesn't necessarily mean you've pressed it even. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the thing is I'm, you know, when you're picking every race, you're you're inevitably going to pick some favorites. You're going to pick some shorter priced horses that you're not really all that jazzed about betting. I've not had a number of big price winners, um, but, you know, I've also been able to uh, – to get a few homes. So I just, you know, I need to, I need to find the ones that go off a little bit better, pay a little more and bet them, bet them sufficiently. Let's talk about the honorable miss before we get to the pick six, a race on paper that very much shapes up like a match. Who are you with and why? I think Echo Zulu is a complete cinch in here. I don't see, I don't see how she gets beaten. I've always been, I guess kind of a Frank's Rockette fan slash sort of detractor at the same time because I've, she's cost me so much money over the years. But um, she was very good earlier this year and you know, I guess late last year as well. But just beating what I thought was a significantly weaker group of horses. I'll be interested to see how the first furlong or so shakes out and if Echo Zulu tries to open up comfortably and see how close Frank's Rockette gets to her. Um, I, I thought, you know, maybe – Junior was a little bit more conservative with Frank's Rockette last time. It's also because she broke from the rail, even in a small field. But I, I've been impressed with Echo Zulu from start to finish. I thought she ran extremely well in the Breeders' Cup, coming off of a, of just one prep and a bit of a layoff. And again, I mean, it looks like a race where she's just going to take it to him from the start. I'll be surprised if she loses. A horse we've been dying for the cutback since, you know, early in the three-year-old year. I The more I look, though... Thinking that Echo Zulu is going to be long odds on and you might get a halfway decent price on Frank's Rockette, on her body of work on speed figures, she shouldn't be twice the price of Echo Zulu, should she? And that's what she's going to be? Or am I missing something there? Um, I'm, yeah, I guess she's probably going to be, I mean, I don't, I don't know when they, when all is said and done. I mean, maybe they shake out to, to four to five and six to five, I, I guess. I mean, people are going to bet Dr. B a little bit because of Irad, even though her last race was bad. Her two races with Irad were okay. And Mary Quite Contrary did go off eight to one to a two to five good night olive last time, or actually a one to four good night olive. So she'll get a little bit of money too. You know, Echo Zulu is a very popular horse with an excellent Saratoga record. So it's pretty easy to, uh, to gravitate there. 
Yeah, we'll see. At four to five, six to five, I might put it in the in the pass camp. If you got something like eight to five, two to one on Frank's Rockette, I might just try to be a t- tiny bit contrarian. Obviously, nothing against Echo Zulu other than potentially the price. Let's move to race number five, which kicks off our pick six on this Wednesday card. We've got a $35,000 claimer on the inner going a mile and a 16th. And uh, no surprise here, big full field signed on. Which way will the Tamaro dollars be going? You know, the two droppers from the meets, uh, generally generally the meets two most prolific barns, except for this year when Linda Rice is winning at about just as high a percentage. I'm talking of Quality G and St. Joe Lewis, both of whom come in on drops for uh, Chad Brown and Todd Pletcher, respectively. St. Joe Lewis has run for a tag before. It's kind of amazing he scared everybody away at the claim box on both of those occasions. Uh, I wonder if he'll get taken now off the layoff. And uh, Quality G is also coming in for a tag for the first time. Todd's 23% on the turf doing this $1.65 ROI. I think the edge to me belongs to Quality G because he's he's got more speed, first of all, and he's drawn inside. I think that'll help him really procure a forward position. St. Joe Lewis also seems like kind of a career loser. Seven second-place finishes in 11 starts, uh, 10 of which didn't involve a victory. So he's he's one that just seems to have a pretty serious case of camera shyness. And he kind of snatched defeat from the jaws of victory multiple times last year. So I'll mainly start with Quality G. I'll use a little bit of St. Joe Lewis. And Billy's got issues. I don't really see going much beyond that. The pace likely comes from Little Bro Coop, who I think will uh, will be, cl- you know, if he's not on the lead, he'll be close to it. But his turf races don't really bowl me over. And I think Jose Camejo regrets this claim for 75000 Moonwatch, do you give any chance as a first-time gelding with some decent blood, ex-Euro? I mean, that doesn't jump off the page or anything, but just another one that I was considering mixing in there a little bit. Yeah, you know, Jonathan Thomas does not really have a barn with many claimers in it. So this feels like a horse that maybe he got from overseas and they 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 gelded him. And it almost feels like he's realizing, yeah, this horse just really can't run. And so that's why they're putting him in for a tag. He kind of bounced him around Kentucky, worked him at Keeneland on the 6th, worked him at Turfway on the 21st, which there's a gap in there. And now he's sending it up. It, it just doesn't look like my kind of my kind of setup, so I'm not I'm not interested, but I could see people maybe going there since he's a little bit of a fuzzy. Definitely not one I would trust, but I was just thinking if the board just tilts to those two other obvious ones that I will be using, certainly if the board just tilts completely to them, maybe sneaks away at a silly price. I don't know. Just one I wanted to put on people's, people's radars in that one. Race six is a three-year-old Philly New York bred allowance race going a mile and an eighth, and I was trying to find a, a nice uh, breeding angle to play or, or something of that ilk, and I didn't really come up with one, but I did think that made me give a narrow vote to the one Ichiban to reverse form with the five. Big Hazel has run that big race since the two clashed and maybe just uh, maybe a little bit better suited to the distance than that one. There'll be a few others in the betting here too. How did you, I picked at one five. What do you think? Yeah, I don't have much uh, different to say. Um, I, I, I will tell you that the 25th, the first race on the 25th of June is one that the buyer speed figure team got disastrously wrong. And, and I say it so strongly because when they move this figure up 15 points afterwards, that is, um, that's a lot. So if you looked at Ichiban when she was running 
on July 15th here at Saratoga, that 74 was a 59. And if it had been a 74, then this filly would have been probably six to five. And instead she went off three to one and one. And now Linda Rice is bringing her back very quickly. Third off the layoff, uh, horses on dirt coming back off of wins in two weeks or less. Linda is 23% with a 224 ROI. And I'm envisioning that this filly is going to be able to handle the mile and an eighth based on being by street sense and what we've seen of her of late. I think being inside in what should be a quick paced mile and an eighth race won't be a problem. And Linda's barn, quite honestly, has just been better with with routers over the last six months or so. She's definitely uh, figured it out in terms of who to claim and how to get her horses to go a little farther. Because you and I know the book on her for a long time was that her horses couldn't go beyond seven furlongs. And, and that's just not the case anymore. So I think Don Doro and uh, Athena Beach will set the table. I agree with you. I'm on one five. It looks simple. All right, let's hope we're right about that one. That'd be a nice little way to uh, to get this thing uh, rolling or continue this thing rolling as we get on to the seventh race on the day where we've got an allowance race with plenty of stakes types in it, five and a half on the turf for this one. Nick, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, so I want to get a, probably a little bit more bold here in terms of multi-race plays and and uh, and single outlaw kid. My, my fear is our shot. I don't fear Arrest Me Red. I don't, I don't really know if Arrest Me Red is in one piece anymore. I suppose only if the Lasix gives us a miracle turnaround or something. That's the, that's the only thing, right. It's the only thing that could be a mitigating factor, but um, otherwise I don't think he has looked particularly good in his last couple of starts. I'm not enamored with his performances. Um, I know Irad getting back on is probably a little bit of a decent sign, but um, I've been underwhelmed. And this also looks like it's going to be a slow-paced race. And if it's a slow-paced race, I'd rather outlaw kid who's going to get an excellent stalking trip from the outside. He's been a sharper horse with Javier. And that was a very strong pace he got involved in last time at Woodbine. And I felt like he really grudgingly gave way. I think the five and a half suits him ideally. I do, as I said, I fear our shot a little bit because I do think that he's elevated his game in his last two starts. I, I want him to do that in New York, though. And, and I, I know maybe I'm splitting hairs a little bit with that, but this is a horse who seems to be seems to have gotten better um, as, as he ran maybe against some lesser types. I know Bound for Nowhere, two back, was a horse that he uh, that he beat, but that was not the the quintessential Bound for Nowhere. Oligon, who was behind him in the Get Serious, did come back and win the Wolf Hill on Saturday. So there's good there's good running lines there. But again, I want to I want to stick to Outlaw Kid. I'm with you. We're reading each other's email on this one. There there was uh, I wasn't sure if. It was a combination of things last time. Definitely, though, the flow move up um, from the last race it was also, you know, was back a little quick there, potentially. And I think you made the key point about I think this turf course just probably suits this horse more than the more galloping um, turf sprint course that Outlaw Kid was on last time. So I'm all about the nine in here. We really hopefully we're both going to be right and be in, in good winning position through the middle of this pick six because we're going to have a lot of the same numbers on our tickets as we go back to more New York bred action for three-year-old fillies going a mile and an eighth in race number eight, a race that I uh, I struggled with this one, and I just sort of defaulted in the end to Sweet Mystery, who I didn't particularly trust, but I thought was going to get the best trip, and BB's Busted, a horse that I, I thought um, had an opportunity also, you know, I don't exactly know how the trip is going to work out. I don't know exactly where she's going to be positioned, but this eight-year-old mare's just in 
career form and seemed like one you probably wanted against this group. And we could break out the old Finger Lakes route in the stretch for, for BB's Busted potentially. But curious to know, first and foremost, do you have a strong opinion in here? I don't. I think it's very hard to have a strong opinion in here. I picked BB's Busted. I thought uh, I thought she made sense really from a distance perspective. I think she's she's the likeliest to really be at her best around a mile and an eighth. And I mean, boy, this shapes up as a real war of attrition in the final quarter of a mile. Her win last time out, I know it came against very common horses, but she completely blew the break. She spotted a multiple links coming out of the gate and then really grinded them down late to get up for the win. I thought it was an impressive performance, all things considered. And so uh, I could see her at least running back to that. You know, the key here is you you don't you can't have an overwhelming amount of confidence that Amanda's folly is really going to excel at a mile and an eighth. And, and the trips don't get much softer than the one she had last time, only to be run down in the final stages by Mia Bay Star, who, you know, really when push comes to shove is probably at her best around seven eighths, maybe up to a mile. So I don't have a lot of confidence that Amanda's folly is going to get the job done. I do think she at least has the possibility of being on the lead isolated, depending on what Manny Franco wants to do with Cinderella's cause. I mean, Manny Franco has not really made any good decisions at this meet. That's is, as evidenced by his record. Um, but I hope that he commits to the front end with Cinderella's cause because allowing yourself to be buried inside behind horses going a mile and an eighth at Saratoga is a death sentence. So if that happens, I think it'll set things up well for BB's busted. I think sweet mystery would also be in a decent enough position. I, I I didn't recall why Sweet Mystery was such a huge favorite last time out, and she really was. She drastically underperformed. So I, I have a hard time betting her to rebound for no particular reason other than that maybe she was a little wide on a day where you wanted to get a little bit towards the rail. I mean, I don't want to say it was any kind of gold rail by any means, but it was advantageous to save ground that day, I, I guess. I mean, I can use her too. I'm probably going to be on the two, five, and six here and just hope to stay alive. All right, looking to survive and advance in race number eight as we move on to race number nine. This is one where I was interested in uh, the forerunner coming out of the, the, the terrible trip last time, um, Siempre Elegante at, uh, at, at Belmont. I mean, that, that was just one that seemed to be begging a, a, for a bet back and shapes like one who is going to be suited by this distance. The one entry you know, both have nondescript French form. Both will enjoy the distance. I wasn't going to be a hero. I was going to back up with the one entry, try to maybe press the four in, uh, in the ninth here. How do you see it? So it's interesting. Um, I, I didn't think the four was going anywhere when she ran into trouble last time. I thought she was like completely one paced and the horse on the outside of her ran right by her. And the fact that she couldn't keep up is why she ended up steadying was was kind of my thought. But I, I certainly respect your opinion. I think the angle there for me would probably be that she's second off the layoff now and maybe she needed a race to get going again. But um, I actually thought that the, the play here from a multi-race perspective was to just ditch her altogether um, and, and go other directions. And there were two horses that I was interested in. The three, Rambique, who did have some trouble into the first turn last time out off a layoff and now goes second off the bench. She's probably at her best going long based on that runner-up finish behind personal best, who even though she got into some, she got disqualified that day. I mean, Rambique was, was likely second best in that field and personal best turned out to be a stakes horse. And then the other one for me was such sounds, the six for Phil Bauer, who was in getting into position in mid stretch last time out and got steadied very sharply on the inside. And she got completely sawed off and, and Chris Landeros just took her in hand and, and let her settle towards the back of it. 
I'm in, I'm surprised that Phil Bauer is bringing her back at a mile and three eighths. I thought maybe she had the look of a horse who might be a little bit better going shorter, but I'm going to trust him. I know he hasn't gotten off to the kind of start at Saratoga that he's had in the past, but he's had some horses run fine. So I was going to get a little more ambitious here and just go three, six. And the other horse I'd probably strongly consider would be the seven LS Ford, who uh, was second in that race that such sounds comes out of Ian Wilkes actually quietly has a very good record on the turf at Saratoga. This one's coming back from a, a brief break. And I guess the big, concern there is she's another one who just really doesn't ever seem to win i get it though i mean yeah a bit of a nibbler for sure but one who if everything lines up could get the job done and very bold there you'll be definitely picking up some equity if you can beat uh, the, the one entry there especially and i think the four is going to probably catch more than the morning line as well so yeah well, you have a like better opinion on the so of the euros for me i mean the one a is unlikely to get into the race unless there's two scratches and she took a ton of money in her North American debut and really did no running at all after she broke poorly. I didn't think the one's form looked particularly strong. And for as good as Christoph is, first off, the shipping has really not been his angle the last couple of years. I know it's so funny because that's like how I first became aware of him back in the day, taking horses with very average looking French form and winning stakes in, in, in the States. But uh, I'm on the air here, Perrin. Tell me what the food number is. But then anyone will be able to come to the club and order food who's listening to this podcast. Do you think we can trust them? Okay. F-027. Okay. I'm on the way. <laughs> I promised an interruption, and there we got one from uh, from the pear bear here who's between swim lessons at the pool, which means I've kept you longer than I told you I was going to, Nick, but but that's okay. But, yeah, it is that is very notable, and I think you're probably right. I, as I look at the race more, I was probably being cowardly, including the entry. I'm okay you know, I'm, I do now want to go back and look at this trip again. I just thought for, for uh, the four, there were just multiple spots of trouble. So maybe I was a little bit more forgiving. But what you're saying certainly makes sense. A lot of times what trip handicappers get excited about is horses that aren't, you know, quite athletic enough or quick enough to hit holes and they make their own trouble. So it could have been that. And if, if, uh, if this horse doesn't run a lot better today, I will probably take a much dimmer view going forward. Let's talk about the nightcap. Uh, New York bred maiden claimers, $40,000 level. When it comes to this pick six on this Wednesday card, Nick, how are we going to get paid? Uh, I mean, what a way to end it, right? I, you know, I am probably just a square because I took Vince the Prince to three, who I think is is probably better than these horses when push comes to shove. But boy, is that that is a that is a low confidence opinion on my part. He's been facing better, no doubt about it. He's got speed and an inside draw and Kendrick, you know, it's supposed to be relatively simple, but uh, boy, I mean, this field is just, it's, it's, it's hard to have any kind of strong opinion. I could see using a second time starter, like the nine wayward ghost who likely got a little bit of an education first time out, picks up Joel Rosario for the second start, stretching out in distance. There's really no great indication that this horse is going to love going along on the turf, but he did at least finish like a horse who needed needed a race, maybe needs more ground. Your mission has had a million chances and seems to find a way to lose every time out. I know David Aragona likes the 12 Waffler, and he did a little bit of running late last time out. Um, really did no running at all on debut and now draws the 12 post, which is awfully tough. So and it's not as if anybody's lingering on the AE list that you're really dying to get in. Um, I would like Zapruder if the race was taken off the turf, but it likely won't be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use the three. I'm going to use the eight and the nine. I, I guess my other horse could potentially be the six. He's a lucky guy. Carrie Breon with a street boss first. Or she's done okay. She's done well with first time starters. She's a good trainer. Um, 
and this is a horse will be a big price. I have very little clue in here, Pete. I like that idea of throwing the six in potentially. I, I had uh, in my deeper reckoning and then had paired out my throwback in. I mean, that is precocious breeding. It, it almost reminds me of the old days, you know, when you'd get a jump trainer like a Tom Voss with a maiden up here and they get ignored and, you know, you won some races at prices and, and uh, you know, with the, with the races that Kerry Breon wins uh, over the fences, particularly that might be a have a little bit of a wise guy. Look, I, I put wayward ghost on top for the reasons you said, look to be figuring things out and has this nice damn side pedigree. I did want to use waffler because I thought that um, the, the jockey maybe gave up a little bit on that, uh, in that first run. So that was going to be my excuse. Now it, it, it looked like a, uh, there was like l the littlest bit of trouble and it just looked like Rosario was done very early. Let's put it that way. And then I did fig figure was a uh, flow upgrade now back on the stretch out. I just thought it was worth including. I think you make good points about the six, but I'm not going to be a hero. I'm going to use the three as well. And I'll try to use those four numbers to get out of here on this Wednesday pick six. Any closing thoughts from you, my friend? No, I'm uh, glad to get another week started and looking forward to some of the weekend stakes. Hopefully we can get a little bit more field size in some of these races. It would make it exciting, but it seems like a lot of trainers are a little, uh, little unwilling to take on some of the tougher competition at times. Yeah, and there's so much racing. You know, there's so many places for people to go and things to do. It's, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I, don't, you know, I don't really know where to face, where to put any blame on that. I certainly don't put the blame on, on Naira. I think it's a sort of a bigger problem with the way the stakes calendar is arranged. It's something we've talked about in the past and, and uh, hopefully will continue to be addressed in, in some ways because it's really nice at Saratoga. Uh, to, to, I mean, the star power, even in a race like the Honorable Miss is great, but boy, isn't it more fun when you see them uh, facing off in a big full field with some of the competitors who've been running in, in lesser races around. But, you know, not a problem we can solve today, but definitely one worth talking about. Nick, thank you very much. I'm going to thank AK as well going to thank our founding partners 10 strike racing going to get to hang with uh, some of the 10 strike crew tonight looking forward to that as well as the thoroughbred retirement foundation learn about uh, what they've got going on this summer in their 40th anniversary year trfinc.org slash players for jk for nick tamaro i'm peter thomas fornital may you win all your photos